Hi everyone and welcome back to our podcasting series, Care to Listen. In this, our fifth series, we will be exploring diversity, inclusion and identity. So let me just give you a little bit of background to these are diversity role model podcasts. These podcasts are an opportunity to get younger people and older people together to talk about their experience of what it's like to belong to groups of people who share unique characteristics. Hello, uh, welcome Kate and Hannah. Thanks for joining us. Um, And uh, Hannah is a young person, um, uh, one of our care leavers and a young trainer, and she is here talking to Kate, who is... um, our head of HR, and we're here talking about our experiences of our sex. Uh, Hiya, Kit. So I was wondering if you could tell us who you are and a bit about you and your job role. My name is Kate Bromfield, um, and I am the head of HR, which also encompasses um, L&D, Learning, Development and Recruitment, for Five Rivers and the Foster Partner Agencies. I've been here three and a bit years, three and a half years. and love it. It's I, I love the place. I love the mission. I love the values. It, that's really important to me. That's wonderful. It sounds absolutely great. So Hannah, tell me about you. Tell me about your involvement with Five Rivers. Um, so I am a care leader. I'm 18 years old. Um, I work closely with Olivia doing partic- participation. This includes podcasts, films, uh, anything that Olivia might need me on. Um, uh, I'm a young trainer, I participate in um, the Skills to Foster, where new foster carers who come into the company, uh, I join on the last day of their training and I give uh, my experience of the care system and participation and Five Rivers and they ask me any questions that they may have and I answer as best as possible. That's such a valuable resource and insight you must give. Um, So I was just wondering if you uh, could tell us how you would uh, describe your identity, Kate. Uh, I am a woman uh, and my identity is made up of many aspects, um, not just to do with my sex. I think we are a sum of our experiences and and upbringing and 101 other things along the way. Um, I don't like stereotypes. I've fought against stereotypes all my life. Uh, And what is your experience of being a woman? Whoa, well, <laughs> I was thinking about this. My school, primary school, was very stereotyped. Um, I can remember doing needlework whilst wistfully looking out the window at the boys playing football. I, I was rubbish at needlework. I could knit, but I couldn't do needlework. I hated every minute and just remember looking out and realising or feeling something wasn't right, but couldn't quite put my finger on it other than I hated needlework. Um, at secondary school, we did home economics turning cookery into something that, uh, dreadful and boring but also kind of that mindset of cooking and caring and nurturing that doesn't suit everyone in in the fullest sense um we received terrible careers advice it was an all-girls school terrible careers advice um no one was going to be an engineer however bright they are because the careers teacher never even thought about that so there there it was um i remember in work uh not being allowed to wear trousers 
makes me sound absolutely ancient, but I, I kind of appalled myself that that was the case. We were given business dress to wear, but women wore skirts. It did change whilst I was there, but I was, I'm shocked to even remember that. Um, the one time it worked for me in work as a woman was because I'm really into, I love football and I joined the Burton group and it was a very male dominated uh, salesy environment. And my boss told me I'd got the job because of my knowledge of football, <laughs> the offside rule and a few bits of nuggets about teams. So uh, he was a Leeds fan actually, but he, uh, that, that worked for me. So there we go. Um, experience of women, sexual harassment, from early doors, stuff that you didn't even label as sexual harassment, stuff that happened. So I'm not talking assault or, or you know, at that end, but those micro aggressions of sexism um, and putting up with it, smiling and moving on. I remember my friend, I think we were age 10, she'd been flashed at by some guy, told me about it and we both kind of thought oh somehow it was our fault or her fault we didn't even think to tell anyone about it so those formative experiences are just there and i'm sure they're not greatly different to many other women unfortunately um what else as a woman worrying about appearance having to make excuses my hair's gone gray um right the way through that, that's that's a woman thing and uh, so I would say pretty typical, um, but I discovered feminism, I suppose, when I was at university and there was a feminist bookshop nearby that sold really good postcards. <laughs> you know, when you put postcards up in your room and everything. And I went in there and they were funny and they were about the gender pay gap and women's rights and they were great. And it just started flashing little lights up in my head thinking, oh, hello. And, and that's when I started to think about me as a woman in the world and what had happened so far. Is that things have got better as you've got older? I want to say yes, and I was reflecting on this. There are so many things that have choices of study, you know, encouraging women into engineering and STEM and all those other things and just saying it's all open to you. So that, that, that's really changed. Even children's books have got better. So I remember finding for my daughter Princess Smarty Pants, which is the princess who basically doesn't like any of these guys that turn up and she goes off on a motorbike at the end of it all. And, and so there were things like that. So you just saw little bits changing. There's less sexism on TV. It might not feel like that, that but there was. I, I remember growing up watching stuff and feeling uncomfortable thinking, why is that funny about women and boobs and whatever? It's not funny or just being uncomfortable. Um, there's things, shared parental leave, my goodness. It shouldn't be revolutionary, but it feels like it is. And it's there and it, it wasn't before. Um, and I think women have got together in groups more effectively. I think their voices are heard, whether it be a, a demonstration at the Sarah Everard Memorial thing in, in London or whatever it might be, People, women getting together and, and that not being seen as the exception. So I, I feel optimistic about some of those things. I'm interested, Hannah, to see or to hear whether your experiences have similarities or are vastly different or, or as an indicator of how things may have changed. So myself, I identify as uh, a woman, uh, a heterosexual woman. Uh, I believe that there has been a lot of change uh, since back in the day. However, there still is stereotypes and issues um, that are still present in the current day that shouldn't be. 
Um, my experience as a woman has been difficult in some parts. Um, for example, the other day, me and my two university friends uh, were five minutes away from campus. We were walking to our lecture and um, a white van pulled up with two males in it and they uh, honked their horn at us and then rolled down the window and proceeded to wolf whistle at the three of us. Um, uh, it provoked more anger um, than anything out of all of us. I think it's inappropriate and it shouldn't happen. But I know that a lot of females do face this. I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that's your experience, that things haven't changed. But tell me about how, how it is for you at university. Um, university um, is a wonderful place for me to be able to study. I am studying working with children uh, young people and families uh the um that my class's sex uh, is predominantly female and there is two males in my class um which i think is because the stereotype is that the woman is um given the carer role um, and is seen as more caring than a male would um and a lot of people do judge males when they are in carer roles or the caring role um, so it can be difficult for um, males to choose to study um, such a degree um, and obviously a student uh, like a nightlife is a big part of university and it's very different for the two different sexes um, females my experience of it is we have a safety plan before we go out we stay in groups if one of us needs a toilet we all go together um we meet at a certain time if one of us leaves the club then we all leave the club um, no one walks home alone if you are walking home alone in a city or anywhere from a nightclub you are on the phone to someone or you have a safety tracking app which tracks um where you are and you hold a button and you only release the button when you're safe um, you have 999 on speed dial just in case um, and whereas uh, males you could walk you could walk to the club singularly um, they don't have to have any precautions they sort of make up last minute plans um, they go out um, and obviously uh, females um, cannot do this as a student um, because it's not safe for us to do it Oh, that breaks my heart. I have to say, that breaks my heart. So I, I was a student in Liverpool um, and we took care. You, you do as a woman through your whole life, you're on, on an alert, but not to the extent that you've just described. And that really breaks my heart that we've got to this. Um, I went back in the day on the Reclaim the Night Marches, which was about women being able to walk home safely um and yet here we are and that breaks my heart well recently um obviously uh in the news and things you've been shown that in a lot of nightclubs girls have been getting injected student nightlife is brilliant and it's fun to experience but it can also be a very dangerous territory um for female students that's horrific and not not shocking in some ways what, what that tells me and the way you've described it is, again, once again, women are taking the action, the preventative action, the thought, the working with friends to deal with some behaviour. What we need to do as a society is deal with that behaviour. Um, 
So I hear people talking about the gender pay gap and I was wondering if you could tell us about this. I certainly can and it's something that in organisations we, we are compelled to look at um, by the government as well as being curious ourselves. It is the difference in average hourly earnings of men and women as a proportion of men's average hourly earnings. So it's a measure across all jobs in the UK, not just difference in pay between men and women for doing the same job. So it's all jobs. So the Office of National Statistics, that's their definition, and that's what they um, define it as. So it's a percentage. So in 2021, the gap amongst full-time employees was 7.9%, which is up from 7% in 2020. So that's as a proportion of men's um, average hourly earnings. That's the gap. Um, however, the gender pay gap has been declining slowly over time, falling approximately a quarter over the last decade. So slowly, slowly, it's it's happening. However, there are differences in part-time, full-time and whatever, but it's better than it was. The fact we report on it, the fact it's a thing, the fact you're asking about it, all those things are critically important. It is still shocking that there is... Um, yes. Uh, what I would say is quite still a high percentage difference. Yes. And and there's not an easy answer to that. Um, when, especially in the field of HR, you come across things like performance related pay, or I've worked in councils where you have exact pay grades and, and you move through it, there's no performance there. Is that fairer? Don't know. Um, uh, yeah, there's different ways of setting up a pay um, structure so it's really interesting performance related pay unless you tie it exactly to criteria and performance outcomes unconscious bias there you go um, that that's what you're at the mercy of so people have yet to find a completely easy fits all solution but we're working on it obviously well it's good to know that it's been worked on so what would you say are the other big areas of inequality I would say equal if i call it representation so in politics business working life um, being visible across all jobs um, i've got some facts obviously women make up 51 percent of the population but they're only 29 percent of mps 25 percent of judges and 24% of FTSE 100 directors. So we've got a lot to catch up on. I remember back in the day, the founder of the body shop, Anita Roddick, one of the first women, visible women in, in business, said, the day I see an incompetent female at the helm of a, of a company, I'll know we've arrived because there are plenty of incompetent males, which always made me laugh. And I thought, well, yes, because she was having to work double hard to get where she was. Yes. The, the other area of inequality I would raise is the equal parenting and caregiving. You, you talked about the caring professions and, and women being attracted to that. Um, it's something about sharing responsibilities at home to give everyone equal opportunities um, in family life and workplace. And I mean that for men as well, that, that we should be more welcoming of men that want to take that role at home as, as well. It should be just more balanced. So what is the media's responsibility in all of this? Oh, it's huge. Um, 
media coverage is too often casually simplistic about women. Young women, you're portrayed as sex objects or victims. Older women are, what's the word, cougars, victims, invisible, you name it. Um, and, and this harms everyone. It harms your generation, particularly the younger people coming through. It, it, um, it, it also needs to show that dads can care, dads can be there, that female politicians shouldn't be asked about their handbags or what they're wearing or Theresa May's shoes um, and, and so on. So there's loads of those little micro things going on as well as the actual representation in, in the media. The one area that bothers me greatly is violence against women that's trivialised in dramas and so on. And I, I love a crime thriller drama, but I am sick to my back teeth of you get five minutes in and there's there's the female body every time, pretty much. And it, it just makes me sick. It's just too much and it trivialises it. And I think all of those things feed into this culture women can be disposed of we'll, we'll spend ages finding out the perpetrator and that's really good but there's a dead woman there and it once you start seeing it it's it's everywhere unfortunately no i uh, i 100 agree with you and uh, i think social media um has a lot of influence as well especially on um, my generation yes. of women um when i was in my younger teens i believed that um instagram i had to have um, a lot of likes and I had to have everyone comment on my post. I had to have people to like me and my appearance to be seen as popular or to be or, or to be seen as a person. Um, and yeah. I think there's uh, social media um, provides gender norms and stereotypes that, that it shouldn't. So I believe that for my generation, that social media um, is a massive issue. It um, provides stereotypes um, of women that um, shouldn't be portrayed and is put onto my generation especially. And I think people should use social media for a positive influence rather than um, pushing these stereotypes and gender norms on women. Um, I also believe that there should be a platform or the ability where people can speak openly, especially women to each other about how they're feeling, about any experiences that they've had, um, but whether that be bad or good experiences. But I think communication definitely needs to improve. Um, so I was wondering, uh, how do you think we could improve things? We talked about the gender pay gap, I think, that's a big issue. That's what that's a kind of obvious thing that we can measure to boost women's spending across the and their power across the economy and give them more independence and autonomy. I think a more diverse parliament government would would help to draw on that wider range of women's experiences. I think our education systems, schools, universities could help not just keep girls in there and learning and moving forward in a respectful environment. Um, but they have a huge role to play in challenging the stereotypes, not only in the subjects they take, but the, the, how they're treated at school. I, I hear some horror stories from schools. So, um, and things like how we tackle violence, it shouldn't be unsafe, but I am 
mightily buoyed up by the way you and your friends work for each other and collaborate in that way and support each other. It, it is wonderful to see. Um, and I think that somehow in the face of adversity is where the positivity comes from. The, the power of people in a struggle is immense. Um, Kit, I was wondering how you feel about Fiverr is and whether they give you the platform and the opportunity uh, as a woman to speak openly and you feel safe um, in the Fiverr is environment. Thank you. Um, I do. Uh, it, it, it's it's marvellous. We're led by a woman uh, CEO and founder. That that power is is amazing and goes through the whole DNA, as as you'll know. When I joined the senior leadership team, there's women on there. It's, I'm not the lone lone voice. That's brilliant. So yes, there is a platform at that level as well. I work in HR, which traditionally, a bit like the, the role you're looking at, is female. Um, but we've got two males at the moment, so we're, we're trying to uh, address that. So I, I do feel it's safe. Five Rivers is predominantly female. Again, going back to your comment about being a caring, nurturing um, profession and, and service. Um, so we're on that kind of female playing field anyway, but I, I do feel safe. I do feel listened to. Um, I will continue to strive to try and do things to support women as well, to redress the imbalances we've talked about today where we can and Hannah from your point of view did you feel listened to did you feel listened to as a female as a, as a young girl and a young woman uh, within five rivers your experience throughout uh 100% obviously as you said the majority of five rivers is females um so I definitely had the opportunity to voice my opinions and any concerns I had and obviously I work very close um, with Olivia, the participation officer, um, and she has provided a, a, a great amount of support. Um, I felt very supported and I felt very comfortable and safe um, whilst working with Five Rivers and whilst being um, a young person in care with Five Rivers. That's good to hear. Good to hear. Wow, that was amazing. Really lovely listening to you both talking to one another and hearing the similarities and hearing that some things haven't really changed and we've got a long way to go. But um, I feel really sure with uh, Kate at the helm and Hannah coming up through the ranks as a student that we've um, we've got um, a very positive future ahead of us um, and things will hopefully continue to improve. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much. Wonderful. Great to meet you, Hannah. You too, Kate. All right, so you've been listening to the Five Rivers Child Care Family podcast series, Care to Listen. For any more information, please contact us on participation at five-rivers.org. Thanks for listening. Original soundtrack, Proud to Be Me, written, produced and recorded by the Five Rivers Young Creators. <laughs>